Section 10 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Converted Miser Once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, there was a guildmaster, Eliza by name, who was worth eighty crores and had all the defects which fall to the lot of man. He was lame and crook-backed and had a squint. He was an unconverted infidel and a miser, never giving of his store to others nor enjoying it himself. His house was like a pool haunted by ogres. Yet for seven generations his ancestors had been bountiful, giving freely of their best. But when he became guildmaster, he broke through the traditions of his house, burning down the almonry and driving the poor with blows from his gates, he hoarded his wealth. One day, when returning home from attendance on the king, he saw a yokel, who had journeyed far and was a-weary, seated on a bench and filling a mug from a jar of rank spirits and drinking it off, with a dainty morsel of stinking dried fish as a relish. At the sight he felt a thirst for spirits, but he thought to himself, if I drink, others will want to drink with me, and that means a ruinous expense. So he walked about, keeping his thirst under. But as time wore on, he could do so no longer. He grew as yellow as old cotton, and the veins stood out on his sunken frame. On a day, retiring to his chamber, he lay down, hugging his bed. His wife came to him and rubbed his back as she asked, what has gone amiss with my lord? What follows is to be told in the words of the former story. But when she in her turn said, Then I'll only brew liquor enough for you. He said, If you make the brew in the house, there will be many on the watch, and to send out for the spirits and sit and drink it here is out of the question. So he produced one single penny and sent a slave to fetch him a jar of spirits from the tavern. When the slave came back, he made him go from the town to the riverside and put the jar down in a thicket near the highway. "'Now be off!' said he, and made the slave wait some distance off, while he filled his cup and fell too. Now the guildmaster's father, who for his charity and other good works has been reborn as Saka in the realm of gods, was at that moment wondering whether his bounty was still kept up or not, and became aware of the stopping of his bounty and of his son's behavior. He saw how his son, breaking through the traditions of his house, had burnt the almonry to the ground, had driven the poor with blows from his gates, and how, in his miserliness, fearing to share with others, that son had stolen away to a thicket to drink by himself. Moved by the sight, Saka cried, I will go to him and make my son see that deeds must have their consequences. I will work his conversion and make him charitable and worthy of rebirth in the realm of gods. So he came down to earth and once more trod the ways of men, putting on the semblance of the guildmaster Eliza, with the latter's lameness and crooked back and squint. In this guise he entered the city of Rajagaha and made his way to the palace gate, where he bade his coming be announced to the king. "'Let him approach,' said the king, and he entered and stood with due obeisance before his majesty. "'What brings you here at this unusual hour, Lord Guildmaster?' said the king. 
I am come, sire, because I have in my house eighty crores of treasure, deign to have them carried to fill the royal treasury. Nay, my lord guildmaster, the treasury within my palace is greater than this. If you, sire, will not have it, I shall give it away to whom I will. Do so by all means, guildmaster, said the king. So be it, sire said the pretended Eliza, as with due obeisance he departed from the presence to the guildmaster's house. The servants all gathered round him, but not one could tell that it was not their real master. Entering, he stood on the threshold and sent for the porter, to whom he gave orders that if anybody resembling himself should appear and claim to be guildmaster of the house, they should soundly cudgel such a one and throw him out. Then, mounting the stairs to the upper story, he sat down on a gorgeous couch and sent for Eliza's wife. When she came, he said with a smile, "'My dear, let us be bountiful.' At these words, wife, children, and servants all thought, "'It is a long time since he was this way minded. It must be through drinking today that he is so good-natured and generous.' And his wife said to him, "'Be as bountiful as you please, my husband.' "'Send for the crier,' said he, "'and bid him proclaim by beat of drum "'all through the city that every one who wants gold, silver, "'diamonds, pearls, and the like "'is to come to the house of Eliza, the guildmaster.' "'His wife did as he bade, "'and a large crowd soon assembled at the door "'carrying baskets and sacks. "'Then Saka bade the treasure-chambers be thrown open "'and cried, this is my gift to you take what you will and go your ways and the crowd seized on the riches there stored and piled them in heaps on the floor and filled the bags and vessels they had brought and went off laden with the spoils among them was a countryman who yoked eliza's oxen to eliza's carriage filled it with the seven things of price and journeyed out of the city along the high road as he went along, he drew near the thicket and sang the guildmaster's praises in these words. "'May you live to be a hundred, my good lord Eliza. What you have done for me this day will enable me to live without doing another stroke of work. Whose were these oxen? Yours. Whose was this carriage? Yours. Whose was the wealth in the carriage?' yours again it was no father or mother who gave me all this no it came solely from you my lord these words filled the guildmaster with fear and trembling why the fellow is mentioning my name in his talk said he to himself can the king have been distributing my wealth to the people at the bare thought, he bounded from the bush and, recognizes his own oxen and cart, seized the oxen by the cord, crying, "'Stop! Fellow! These oxen and this cart belong to me!' Down leaped the man from the cart, angrily exclaiming, "'You rascal! Eliza the guildmaster is giving away his wealth to all in the city! What has come to you?' and he sprang at the guildmaster and struck him on the back like a falling thunderbolt and went off with the cart eliza picked himself up trembling in every limb wiped off the mud and hurrying after his cart seized hold of it again the countryman got down and seizing eliza by the hair doubled him up and thumped him about the head for some time 
Then, taking him by the throat, he flung him back the way he had come and drove off. Sobered by this rough usage, Eliza hurried off home. There, seeing folk make off with the treasure, he fell to laying hands on here a man and there a man, shrieking, "'Hi! What's this? Is the king despoiling me?' And every man he laid hands on knocked him down. Bruised and smarting, he sought to take refuge in his own house, when the porters stopped him with, "'Holloa, you rascal! Where might you be going?' And first, thrashing him soundly with bamboos, they took their master by the throat and threw him out of doors. "'There is none but the king left to see me righted,' groaned Eliza, and betook himself to the palace." why oh why sire he cried have you plundered me like this nay it was not i my lord guildmaster said the king did you not yourself come and declare your intention of giving your wealth away if i would not accept it and did you not then send the crier round and carry out your threat "'Oh, sire, indeed, it was not I that came to you on such an errand. "'Your majesty knows how near and close I am, "'and how I never give away so much as the tiniest drop of oil, "'which a blade of grass will take up. "'May it please your majesty to send for him who has given my substance away, "'and to question him on the matter.' "'Then the king sent for Saka and so exactly alike were the two that neither the king nor his court could tell which was the real guildmaster. Said the miser Eliza, "'Who and what, sire, is this guildmaster? I am the guildmaster!' "'Well, uh, really I can't say which is the real Eliza,' said the king. "'Is there anybody who can distinguish them for certain?' "'Yes, sire, my wife!' So the wife was sent for and asked which of the two was her husband. And she said Saka was her husband and went to his side. Then in turn Eliza's children and servants were brought in and asked the same question. And all with one accord declared Saka was the real guildmaster. Here it flashed across Eliza's mind that he had a wart on his head hidden among his hair, the existence of which was known only to his barber. So, as a last resource, he asked that his barber might be sent for to identify him. Now at this time the Bodhisattva was his barber. Accordingly, the barber was sent for and asked if he could distinguish the real from the false Eliza. "'I could tell, sire,' said he, "'if I might examine their heads.' "'Then look at both their heads,' said the king. On the instant Saka caused a wart to rise on his head, after examining the two, the Bodhisattva reported that, as both alike had got warts on their heads, he couldn't for the life of him say which was the real man, and therewithal he uttered this stanza. Both squint, both halt, both men are hunchbacks, too, and both have warts alike. I cannot tell which of the two the real Eliza is. Hearing his last hope thus fail him, the guildmaster fell into a tremble, and such was his intolerable anguish at the loss of his beloved riches that down he fell in a swoon. Thereupon Saka put forth his transcendental powers and, rising in the air, addressed the king thence in these words, "'Not Eliza am I, O king, but Saka!' Then those around, 
wiped Eliza's face and dashed water over him. Recovering, he rose to his feet and bowed to the ground before Saka, king of gods. Then said Saka, Eliza, mine was the wealth, not thine. I am thy father, and thou art my son. In my lifetime I was bountiful toward the poor and rejoiced in doing good. Wherefore I am advanced to this high estate and am become Saka. But thou, walking not in my footsteps, are grown a niggard and a very miser. Thou hast burnt my almonry to the ground, driven the poor from the gate, and hoarded thy riches. Thou hast no enjoyment thereof thyself, nor has any other human being. But thy store is become like a pool haunted by ogres, whereat no man may slake his thirst. Albeit, if thou wilt rebuild mine almonry, and show bounty to the poor, it shall be accounted to thee for righteousness. But if thou wilt not, then will I strip thee of all that thou hast, and cleave thy head with this thunderbolt of Indra, and thou shalt die. At this threat, Eliza, quaking for his life, cried out, Henceforth I will be bountiful! And Saka accepted his promise, and, still seated in mid-air, established his son in the commandments and preached the truth to him, departing thereafter to his own abode. And Eliza was diligent in almsgiving and other good works, and so assured his rebirth thereafter in heaven. THE VALIANT DWARF once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Banaras, the Bodhisatta was born a Brahmin in a market town in the north country, and when he was grown up he studied under a teacher of worldwide fame at Takasila. There he learnt the three Vedas and the eighteen branches of knowledge, and completed his education, and he became known as the sage little bowman. Leaving Takasila, he came to the Andhra country in search of practical experience. Now it happened that in his birth the Bodhisattva was somewhat of a crooked little dwarf, and he thought to himself, If I make my appearance before any king, he's surely to ask what a dwarf like me is good for, and should I not use a tall broad fellow as my stalking horse and earn my living in the shadow of his more imposing personality? So he betook himself to the weaver's quarter, and there, espying a huge weaver named Bimasana, saluted him, asking the man's name. "'Bimasana is my name,' said the weaver. "'And what makes a fine man like you work at so sorry a trade?' "'Because I can't get a living any other way.' "'We've no more, friend. The whole continent can show no such archer as I am. But kings would scorn me because I am a dwarf.' And so you, friend, must be the man to vaunt your prowess with the bow, and the king will take you into his pay and make you ply your calling regularly. Meantime, I shall be behind you to perform the duties that are laid upon you, and so shall earn my living in your shadow. In this manner we shall both of us thrive and prosper. Only do as I tell you. Done with you, said the other. Accordingly, the Bodhisatta took the weaver with him to Benares, acting as a little page of the bow, and putting the other in the front. And when they were at the gates of the palace, he made him send word of his coming to the king. Being summoned into the royal presence, the pair entered together, and, bowing, stood before the king. 
"'What brings you here?' said the king. "'I am a mighty archer,' said Bimasena. "'There is no archer like me in the whole continent. "'What pay would you want to enter my service?' "'A thousand pieces a fortnight, sire.' "'What is this man of yours?' "'He's my little page, sire.' "'Very well. Enter my service.' So Bimasena entered the king's service, but it was the Bodhisatta who did all his work for him. Now in those days there was a tiger in the forest in Kasi, which blocked a frequented high road, and had devoured many victims. When this was reported to the king, he sent for Bimasena and asked whether he could catch the tiger. "'How could I call myself an archer, sire, if I couldn't catch a tiger?' The king gave him largesse and sent him on the errand and home to the Bodhisatta came Bimasena with the news. "'All right,' said the Bodhisatta. "'Away you go, my friend.' "'But you're not coming too?' "'No, I won't go, but I'll tell you a little plan.' "'Please do, my friend.' "'Well, don't you be rash and approach the tiger's lair alone. What you will do is to muster a strong band of country folk to march in the spot with a thousand or two thousand bows.' When you know that the tiger is aroused, you bolt into the thicket and lie down flat on your face. The country folk will beat the tiger to death, and as soon as he is quite dead, you bite off a creeper with your teeth and draw near to the dead tiger, trailing the creeper in your hand. At the sight of the dead body of the brute, you will burst out with, Who has killed the tiger? I meant to lead it by a creeper like an ox to the king, and with this intent had just stepped into the thicket to get a creeper. I must know who killed the tiger before I could get back with my creeper. Then the country folk will be very frightened and bribe you heavily not to report them to the king. You will be credited with slaying the tiger, and the king, too, will give you lots of his money." "'Very good,' said Bimasena, and off he went and slew the tiger just as the Bodhisatta had told him. Having thus made the road safe for travellers, back he came with a large following to Benares, and said to the king, "'I have killed the tiger, sire. The forest is safe for travellers now.' Well pleased, the king loaded him with gifts. Another day, tidings came that a certain road was infested with a buffalo, and the king sent Bimasena to kill it. Following the Bodhisatta's directions, he killed the buffalo in the same way as the tiger, and returned to the king who once more gave him lots of money. He was a great lord now. Intoxicated by his new honors, he treated the Bodhisatta with contempt and scorned to follow his advice, saying, "'I can get on without you. You think there's no man but yourself.' This and many other harsh things did he say to the Bodhisatta." Now, a few days later, a hostile king marched upon Benares and beleaguered it, sending a message to the king summoning him either to surrender his kingdom or to do battle. And the king of Benares ordered Bimasena out to fight him. So Bimasena was armed cap a pie in soldierly fashion and mounted on a war elephant sheathed in complete armor. And the Bodhisatta, who was seriously alarmed that Bimasena might get killed, armed himself Kapapi also, and seated himself modestly behind Bimasena. Surrounded by a host, the elephant passed out of the gates of the city and arrived in the forefront of the battle. At the first notes of the martial drum, Bimasena fell a-quaking with fear. "'If you fall now, you'll get killed,' 
said Bodhisatta, and accordingly fastened a cord round him, which he held tight to prevent him from falling off the elephant. But the sight of the field of battle proved too much for Bhimasena, and the fear of death was so strong on him that he fouled the elephant's back. Ah, said the Bodhisatta, the present does not tally with the past. Then you affected the warrior. Now your prowess is confined to befouling the elephant you ride on. And so saying, he uttered this stanza. You vaunted your prowess, and loud was your boast. You swore you would vanquish the foe. But is it consistent, when faced with their host, to vent your emotions, sir, so? When the Bodhisatta had ended these taunts, he said, But don't you be afraid, my friend. Am not I here to protect you? Then he made Bhimasena get off the elephant, and bade him wash himself and go home. And now, to win renown this day! said the Bodhisatta, raising his battle-cry as he dashed into the fight. Breaking through the king's camp, he dragged the king out and took him alive to Benares. In great joy at his prowess, his royal master loaded him with honors, and from that day forward all India was loud with the fame of the sage little bowman. To Bhimasena he gave largesse and sent him back to his own home, whilst he himself excelled in charity and all good works and at his death passed away to fare according to his deserts. End of section 10